0: You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 4, a podcast dedicated to inform, educate, and influence the future of housing and services for seniors. This podcast is powered by supporting partners Propel Insurance, Inquire, LTC REIT, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. Learn more at btgvoice.com.
1: Welcome to Bridge the Gap podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas, an exciting episode on today. We want to welcome Rick D'Amico. He's a VP of the Bel Air Group, and he's also involved in SAGE and EFA. Welcome to the show.
2: Good morning. Glad to be here.
1: Yes, good to see you. We've had some really good conversations about the things that we are aligned with. You know, the mission of Bridge the Gap is to educate, inform, and influence. And we know that you're very involved and have a long track record and career of ha- making sure that there's positive outcomes for older adults. And you have a specific focus on senior living um, and are not just on the fringe, you're very involved in, in helping to make sure that these, uh, there are great outcomes. So Rick, you know, you have a diverse background. You probably could have gone into any sector. What is, why do you think that senior living is so important?
2: I appreciate the question. And, uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning today. Um, you know, when you think about the whole of our industry and the impact of those we serve, um, it's, it is a rewarding career in that, you know, the work we do, the environments that we build, the programs that are delivered by the operators, our clients, um, you know, we're helping people thrive at a, you know, later in their lives. They're not done. When you turn 70, 80, um, you still want environments that help you live your best life an abundant life for some. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, something to be something, something I really enjoy every day when I get up and I think about the impact this can have on a resident, on staff members, their daily work and, uh, what, what trends are we paying attention to, to help them. And then of course, um, you know, just helping families live their best life in their golden years.
1: What are your roles and what, what are your specific roles, uh, at Sage and EFA?
2: So with SAGE, I'm on the Board of Trustees and um, been on the board since 2016. Specifically, we're, you know, an industry advocate. Um, SAGE stands for the Society for the Advancement of Gerontological Environments. So it's both senior living and also healthcare. care. And, um, you know, there's certainly some crossover when you start to move into assisted living skilled nursing in those environments we're looking at healthcare the same way that they're looking at senior living again looking for best practices uh, how to care for people um, how to make sure they're comfortable um, at every stage of their lives so um, sage is really focused too on just uh, some of the joy that comes with being a provider it's made up of operators it's made up of uh, thought leaders Um, professors, universities are represented, and of course developers, um, but uh, along with a significant uh, membership of architects and engineers. So all of those that work in the industry uh, to advance program and also to advance uh, um, environments, very important. I also chair the annual uh, remodel and renovation awards. This will be my third year to do that with environments for aging. Uh, We're happy that uh, it'll be in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so nearby you, Josh, and uh, uh, so looking forward to, um, you know, being part of uh, an event that, again, uh, brings thought leadership together with the doers and those that can make uh, a change in our industry.
1: You know, the... You're the VP at the Bel Air Group, and you've come alongside operators in the not-for-profit sector and for-profit sector to come and help them with their developments, owners, operators, acquisitions, things like that. But you're also um, even more involved from even a mitigation standpoint. We're just coming out of 2020, um, and you know, COVID was a. It, it was a big thing, still is a big thing in senior living. Um, we're about to enter into more of a tumultuous weather season around the Gulf and Atlantic coast. We've got storms and hurricane seasons, stuff like that. How have you, I mean, coming out of 2020, what are the new things that are most important for owners and operators, even you know, as they're developing properties or just managing their portfolio?
2: Well, I think two things are always true. Know your market. And so, you know, market demand analysis study will tell you who lives there, the depth of the market and you build a program around that. So, as a developer, that's always key. But know your market too and what do residents live with? If they've, you know, been there for 30 years and you like you say you're in the Gulf Coast, how do they prepare for, what do they expect? Uh, during a hurricane environment, let's say. Well, they expect you know that they'll have resources, uh, they'll plan for those events and they'll have resources available to them during that event. So you know, simple things. making sure you have enough water, making sure you have enough food, you get ready for that. So as a um, person transitions into a senior living, community, uh, whatever size that is, they want to know that the operator has those same resources or would think the same way to have resources available. Um, Like COVID, you know, we're not done eating, um, but we no longer go to the main dining room to do that. Operators had to think about how they were going to get food safely to the residents. They got very creative. Some, I know, every third day they knock on the door with three days of meals. Um, and then as we sort of transition out of that, we, I think we're rethinking about some of these traditional spaces, like a large dining room that really was dormant for all of 2020 because people weren't allowed to gather in there. So we're seeing a shift to maybe smaller dining rooms. If you think of like a country club, you always have the main dining room, but you have adjacent rooms. So maybe we don't need to call them private dining. They're just smaller segmented areas, perhaps in that same that, you know several thousands of square feet that could become um, safer Um, outdoor dining venues. If you're in Texas, that sounds nice. You know, you've got uh, lots of months of warmer weather, but then you've got some months that are just really, really hot. Uh, Or you have misters and fans and conditioned covered spaces. uh, And then where you have environments like California and uh, some of our clients out there, um, they're landlocked. They don't have a, a lot of green space or a lot of room to get outside so we're, we're we're rethinking these spaces how many and what type um that allow flexibility movement of the residents and of course the staff you know they've got to come to uh if you're if you're knocking on people's doors um just to deliver food it's rarely that they're probably going to stop you and ask you about your day and want to talk and it's also an opportunity for that frontline worker to say you know mrs mrs smith maybe they're they didn't answer the doors quickly, or maybe I saw something that uh, um, op, um, leadership can follow up with and make sure they're okay.
1: So um, as a, as a follow-up to that, you know, Josh, w- with you being a developer operator in the space, um, I, I think that this is a, a question, a bigger question that, that we continue to have in a conversation that we continue to have is, is what is, what is the next phase for the senior living industry coming out of 2020, there's so much changes. There's so much opportunity. We've got technology. We've got design. We've got the built environment. We've got des- you know a bunch of different things to consider. That Rick has even brought up. Um, you know how do you, how do you think that this plays into the future of the remaining for 2021 and kind of what are the opportunities?
0: Well, you know, Rick touched on a lot of them, um, but one of the themes that excites me is it's, you know, we've kind of been placed as a society and then as an industry, uh, whether you're in healthcare or true senior living, uh, there's a lot of variety there, but we're all kind of facing this, we have faced this pressure cooker. And I think one of the things that comes out of those tough situations is creative thinking and reimagining. And uh, that's what I have Scene that is most encouraging to me. And just to kind of reiterate some of the things that Rick was touching on, whether it's really sitting down and planning and thinking and developing strategies in how you design. How do you redesign what technology um, is going to be effective versus what is just technology for technology's sake? You know, what is really improving um, residents' uh, lives? I'll tell you something else that, you know, we talk so much about the resident front because obviously that's what we design around and that's what we build our programs around. But I think it's caused us to kind of take a step back and think about a you know, that very important sector we call our team members, our employee base. Because now, you know, one of the trends that I'm seeing is there's a lot more thought going into designing community and some spaces around well, how how is it how are we protecting our teams? How are we putting plans in place, whether it's our design or our supply chain? or our ability to safely manage the team members while they're at work or gosh, you know, Lucas, we've, we've talked to people on this podcast that actually had to shelter in place for lack of a better term and people that lived in the communities because they were so committed to their team members and to their residents. So how do we even accommodate and have flexible spaces when you need to convert for those kind of things? So I, I'm actually really encouraged um, by what it has forced us to all come together. And I think about, um, gosh, you, you guys in Texas, uh, you are a, actually a great example. One of the things I love to see um, through a really bad circumstances is that when life hits Texans hard, they really rally together and they just get it done. They don't, they don't wait on the Calvary to come in and, and try to save them. You see neighbors helping neighbors. And I think that through this experience is where we're seeing senior living operators really helping senior living operators. And we're seeing the developers talking to the operators. And I think through that, that's when we really have meaningful change. So I think what might have happened over this last year or so is that through this pressure cooker, we've actually probably advanced ourselves as an industry 10 years faster maybe than what we would have um, had, you know, disaster calamity not happened.
2: Josh, I really like your optimism and how you summarize that can-do attitude. And, you know, I'd share that I've spent a lot of time in the Midwest and, you know, um, looking elsewhere around the country, that tenacity, that ability to just say, You know those that are nimble, those that can shift a little bit and are willing to try a few things, as you say, be creative. um, I think they they have found success. And uh, those those, you know, what does it do to their brand? if you are already an operator with an existing brand and, and things that you do for your community, residents, and staff included, well, you want to always be at the forefront. You always want to be that recognized leader in your community, uh, no matter where you go. Because you know, outside of of those that we serve, because they live in these communities or they're operating these communities, you've got a market behind them saying, is this really what I want? Do I want to live in an environment with 130 other units and IL perhaps? And what risk is that to me, the next, you know, uh, um, coronavirus that comes, or would I rather age out in my home? And we need to assist with that mentality. We need to say, hey, this is still the best the best option for a lot of levels. I mean, uh, we're seeing, you know, the CDC is talking to the senior living communities on a weekly call in Texas through Texas Leading Age, um, being an advocate for those uh, members, um, they're setting up calls with direct lines to healthcare on a national level. That's saying this is what's working, not just in your local community. This is something that you should apply and help with. And so, you know, you turn that around and you say to potential resident, you know, we we have th- the best information about how to mitigate this. To your point earlier, how are we mitigating all of these uh, realities? Um, you're right there. You're better off knowing uh, what medication to take and what to do after you get it because we have reliable, consistent information. So, um, you know, there's probably a little bit of a ding in the industry. I know census at a lot of communities has gone down, but we're also hearing the interest remains and um, those that are savvy are uh, figuring out how to get new residents to come in and, of course, take care of those that are still there.
0: Well, and you know, Rick, uh, it is encouraging Uh, one of our partners, Inquire, and their benchmark data. You know, Lucas, we've been hearing some encouraging numbers about inquiries and uh, virtual tours and in-person tours starting to pick up to even pre-COVID time. And, you know, I think um, another one of the things that I've just seen such an improvement on that I think is something that our industry really needed and operators are doing a a phenomenal job is the communication. Um, And some of that is through, you know, implementing better technologies that, you know, equip them for better communication. But, you know, it was really amazing how almost overnight you saw companies and operators that maybe hadn't updated their website. In years, and it was this stagnant, boring site, and you're like, that just tells me nothing about the community. All of a sudden, they're using those tools on a daily basis to communicate with their families, their loved ones, other healthcare providers about what was going on and giving updates. And I think that transparency. That was kind of created through this and kind of forced upon us. That's something that is going to go a long way at helping change the perception in our industry um when we kind of put all the cards out there on the table and kind of open the front door for lack of a better term for the for the the consumer that's not educated on our industry to see what a great job we do in communicating and caring for our teams and our residents i I just think that's going to be a very positive things for the trajectory of our industry
2: i was in georgetown north of austin last week and i was talking to the operator there and they are so um, outward facing, meaning to the community as a whole, the city of Georgetown, for instance, they were meeting with religious leaders to say, look, whether you're, you have a family member here or you're living at one of our communities, we're still a resource center, a place of uh, information, if you will, for the whole community. If you need to ask a question from our staff, call. If you go to our website, to your point, you'll see data that comes from the CDC to the state of Texas to the Texas leading age organization that's public. And, um, you know, it's a gateway. Uh, Well, it's a reminder of why they're a community player and uh, been there 40 plus, 50 plus years. And, um, you know, as the life cycle goes on, um, they're telling the community as a whole, you know, we're not asking you to necessarily to come over here and live here. Of course we'd like that, but we are asking you, you know, to think of us as being thought leaders and, Get providing information that's reliable and important and uh, helps, you know, an adult child make a decision about a parent maybe that's um, living at home, not even in, in one of our communities and what we're doing.
0: So go ahead, Josh. Well, I was just going to ask, Rick, um, you know, I, I would uh, hate to let the opportunity pass being able to talk to you and our listeners be able to to listen in on this conversation. But um, you're, you're, I think, for a lot of reasons, a unique um, developer because one of those reasons is because you're not so just narrowly focused on like one development model and you really get out there and educate and are looking at a lot of different diversity and change and a change maker. Are there any... Um, emerging models um, of development and types of developments in what we would consider healthcare or senior living, this kind of aging services that you're starting to scratch at or you're hearing about that would be cool to, to kind of explore over the coming months and years?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to share with everyone, a lot of our clients are, fa- are not-for-profit, faith-based operators so you know that uh, a moment ago and it sounded a bit paternalistic and how you're taking care of residents you know I don't want to over understate that there is just a um, you know if the uh, bottom line isn't every decision they make is they're mission driven. That's that's important in some of the things that they do. But um, looking at trends from operate you know developer operators perspectives, I think this issue about how to meet the middle market doesn't go away. I think repurposing uh, places now that aren't that have not typically been um, you know senior living um, environments for instance You know, the remaking of a mall, the reimagination of a mall, the reimagination of real estate classes like business parks. Is there an opportunity, you know, to bring senior living to a suburban community that might had at one time a robust um, business park? Well, you have to change uh, ordinances and allow for residential living where you might not have it. Repurposing hotels, repurposing motels. There's a lot of discussion about that. Um, The regulatory environments in each state are unique. Um, so you need people like us to help you, you know, match that opportunity with what's allowable or no pun intended, but to bridge that gap. If you have a city, you know, that's not thinking about how we help people age and live their best life with some creative thinking, as you mentioned earlier, they're going to be behind, um, you know, because we, we, have got so much in front of us, uh, that's being underutilized, underused, uh, in a market that grows and grows and grows every, every day, um, You know, I like, too, what you said about staffing. Um, We have seen a little bit of uh, movement away from senior living at the start of of this pandemic. It was the aging population at most risk. So it by default meant if you were a care provider, um, you were also at risk. And you talked earlier about you know, um, some staff members wanting to stay home because they're fully committed to the job and work they do, but they're also anxious and scared that they might, you know, get someone at their homes sick. And uh, so there was some flight uh, in a mark in an industry that sometimes has scarcity. Certainly in Florida, they can't find enough care providers uh, to take care of an aging population. So we have to think about what attracts that care provider. Uh, to your communities to your projects in a way that says hey it's safe to work here we value our employees and um, maybe it's environmental too we've got you know um, I'm not sure yet what it is but you know maybe it's something like if you needed to spend the night here you could or um, during a weather event like we talked about in the early part of this call Come to us if you if you need water, if you need food, and you can't get it at the grocery store, you can't get toilet paper. Maybe we have some surplus, or we can find a way to help our employees take home uh, things for their needs. So, um, trends, uh, opportunities—certainly, there's there's a lot of them. Um, You know, I just want to take one more second in terms of the business model. What remains is with your finance and investors is making sure. You know, that they see this as a value, that they want to put their money in these communities and some of the big investments that were made in 2018, 2019 and all your covenants to keep census, you know, that's been hit. And uh, we want to make sure that um, there's still a significant, well, there is still a significant amount of money that wants to get in this industry. We need to make sure that they understand uh, it's still the right value proposition.
0: So, Rick. Along with that question, you touched on um, and kind of opened the door for me to ask the next next question. So, for let's let's talk just for a minute to the portion of our audience that is a developer, um, and maybe they've had kind of they've been sidelined um, uh, through COVID, and they have not been developing anything and they're about to enter the game again, so to speak, and start developing some communities. They're looking to do some new and innovative things. Are there questions that are being asked now by the capital markets, by the financial markets, by the investors um, that you're hearing asked that you weren't uh, hearing that asked prior to COVID? Is there anything special going on that a developer needs to be prepared to answer?
2: Well, on construction costs, logistics, Um, what we're seeing, for instance, in the lumber industry, I read a Wall Street Journal article over the weekend that said lumber pricing uh, is basically four times higher than they were, you know, this time last year. That's remarkable. Um, You know, the start of the COVID, uh, if an employee in a lumber yard was sick, they shut it down. So that was a very real event. Uh, supply lines, logistics of moving lumber across the country. At the same time, single family ho- homes are being built. You've got you know this interest to, to build. So you know not to say that that's unique in any uh, in any year when you're planning and modeling, putting together your pro forma. But I would pay attention to the logistics side for every construction division to say you know what's likely to happen here. Oil and gas has been so low for the last year. If you're modeling you know, looked at it at one rate, what's it going to be six months from now. So have those conversations with the, the best um, contractors out there. Um, census and fill up your covenants. I think pay attention to the details there. Um, certainly the pandemic, we were losing residents. Uh, census was going down. Interest in living in these communities like we talked about earlier. Uh, make sure you're not hurting yourself or your client in uh, those discussions and uh, what you can do there. And then lastly, uh, scarcity among care providers and employees. I um, was driving through um, again Central Texas, and there's a store called Bucky's Big Gas Station, Big Brand. They're offering cashiers eighteen dollars an hour. Wow, you know, yeah, and, and so your frontline employee that can go work, you know, at a grocery store or gas station, uh, they might feel safer for some of the reasons we mentioned earlier before, or they're in rural environments and it's easier to get to, or. Anyways, um, you know, $18 an hour is a lot, uh, and um, so the uh, operators need to think about the cost of attracting, retaining uh, employees, quality employees at all levels.
0: Wow. So I actually just saw Lucas, he let this slip. I saw him actually typing in Bucky's online application. He was actually applying at Bucky's while we were Josh, on this show. I have a
1: I part-time have a position. Yeah. I have a part-time position at Bucky's already.
2: Yeah. Lucas, three weeks paid vacation, $18 as a cashier. So uh, for any of your listeners, if they're thinking, Hey, what do we need to do? But Lucas, uh, Josh, I appreciate the question about what developers should do. Cause again, Uh, As a consultant versus you as a developer operator, you know, we want to advise our clients to to look at uh, start times, durations, planning departments. Here's another one. Planning departments, you know, they ask their employees to go home. Well, they don't have all the resources you and I might have if we're already used to doing that. And then um, the planning department's relying a little more on third party uh, assistance. So, you know, an engineering review uh, might be out of the hand. So, your timeline when you get to your approvals, your review and approval, if you're modeling 90 days, I would easily put in 120, 150 days. Um, again, clients in Oakland, same thing. And, um, uh, uh, we're seeing that, we're seeing that all over the country.
0: Man, this is good information. Um, I know our listeners are going to probably um, be tearing the email. And social down to try to get to you to ask more questions, and of course now you've given uh, the tip line uh, to Bucky's, and so you know <laughs> Lucas is already there. No telling how
2: many other well, people. call me first. Right I now. might I might see if I can get a <laughs> referral if you're filling out that application. So, yeah,
1: thank you. <laughs> oh man, uh, Texans, we love our Bucky's. Man, you can uh, stop in, get some gas, get some brisket. You could buy a bathing suit or a cooler or pretty much anything you want. So get your car washed. So uh, we appreciate that. Rick, you know, we're going to put all of your information in our show notes. Um, and I know that you're active on LinkedIn. You're active in engagement in these committees. Uh, and also you do speaking and training and education. Thanks for what you're doing and spending time with us this morning here on the Bridge the Gap Network.
2: It's been a privilege, gentlemen. Thank you.
1: Thanks for everybody for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap.
2: Thanks for
0: listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with hosts Josh Crisp and Lucas McCurdy. If you are informed, educated, or influenced by this episode, we want to know. Leave a comment on social media or contact us in the show notes. Powered by supporting partners, Propel Insurance, Inquire, LTC REIT, The Bridge Group
2: Construction, and Salinity. Learn more at btgvoice.com.